they're literally treating themselves worse than a dog. The mind and the body are one thing, so even the attitude that you bring to healing will change how fast you heal. We suffer, we have deprived lives, and that to me is what makes it a need. Life persists and they adapt. There is such a thing, I, I would argue, as aging gracefully such that you can be the... Welcome to How to Be an Adult, a show made for people just like you who've inadvertently become adults and don't know what to do about it. I'm Luke Chow. And my name is Pascal Langdale. And this is the trail guide to adult life that you never got when you reached the age of majority. We publicize these ideas and we put them out there in order to democratize a key component, uh, which is self-assurance. Today's episode is going to be about how to care for your physical body, which once you became an adult, you gained stewardship of. We will talk less about tips and tricks, which you can get from other podcasts, and more about some of the philosophical principles that lead to self-care being normal. To kick off with then, so uh, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make an assumption mm -hmm. that our listeners value any form of life that is under their care. Mm -hmm. So if I were to gift my listeners a houseplant, they're not going to just toss it in the trash. At least if they do, they're going to feel a pang of guilt. Mm. They're, maybe they're not going to eat it. But they'll probably at least make an effort to make sure it gets enough water, to make sure it's in a sunny spot, just because it's alive. I, I would hazard to guess that most of our listeners if they found a broken winged bird on their windowsill, that they're going to make some effort to take care of that bird. Mm. Because once, once life comes under your guardianship, I would suggest it's a normal human tendency to want to take care of, of that life. So I want to answer, answer the question, yeah. which is that it's consistent with most people's values mm. to fulfill their duty of self-care. And you can see that sometimes it's clear that people don't necessarily fulfill that value, but they're not for themselves, but they can do that for other people or even for their own pets. So you can look after a dog, you can feed it, you can water it, you can take it to its vet when it's sick. But uh, I know that statistically a lot of men don't take themselves to the doctor, for example, quite as readily as they would take their, their pet to the vet. They're literally treating themselves worse than a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we treat our dogs fairly well, but I would suggest that if we are the, the ones loved the most by our pet animals, we also deserve that high level of care, of diligence, and of, of conscious effort to preserve our lives and our health and the quality of, of our lives. There's also a, a fundamental obstacle, I suppose, uh, which would be that humans developed to basically take things easy, or rather that's the the goal is to take things easy because before we uh, sat at computers and led a relatively sedentary life, our life itself was filled with exercise, was filled with effort and a penalty for not actually being fit. Whereas now we spend most of our day sedentary and it's almost like we, we're paying for our ease of life by the fact that we have to therefore make an effort to exercise. And that's actually a relatively unnatural thing to do from a sort of evolutionary perspective. So much of what we do as hypnotherapists is to help people be better adapted mm. to the actual environment that they're in. And it had been an adaptation in the past to, I guess, imagine threats in the unknown. And these days, civilization is well padded enough that 
most places we choose to sleep, we don't have to sleep with one eye open. It's well padded enough that most of us don't have to fear starving. So it's kind of become such that it's adaptive to tolerate hunger, and it's maladaptive to eat whatever food is in front of you, even if 10 or 20,000 years ago, even a few hundred years ago, even today in some parts of the world, this had not been the case. Just as a hamster needs a wheel Mm. to create a little bit more of its natural condition of being able to run freely in a field, just like the dog needs to be walked a few times a day so that they're not sedentary on the couch, just like literally every other animal on the planet, (laughs) we human beings need to create these natural or something simulating natural conditions for us to be happy and for us to fulfill our duty of self-care. Now, I don't use the word duty lightly, but because I would be negligent if I forced the dog to just stay within the confines of of an apartment or, or a house. And I believe, I feel that it's negligent if I act like my body could be abused or neglected without consequences. And again, I use these terms intentionally. Mm -hmm. I think it's abuse and neglect. If a person being the steward of their aliveness then treats themselves as though they're not even alive, like they're a plastic plant, not the living plant, or a stuffed animal, not a real animal. You also repeated a few times the word need. Mm -hmm. So you've argued before, and I agree, that exercise perhaps is a need on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I can say that partly because I believe that it's a, a psychophysical or it's a it's a fundamental need for the human organism to exercise. And if you don't, then your body, which is an equal partner with your mind, starts to let you know. Your body's always trying to heal, it's always trying to, um, to maintain homeostasis and a lack of exercise will result in, eventually, in ill health. Um, so your, your body has its own uh, wisdom, if you like. If you injure yourself, uh, you can start to really pull against and protect the area that you've injured. This is a largely a mental protection of something, but it can get so bad that you end up having referred injuries elsewhere because you're protecting this area. But the, the body is capable of moving still with some injury, but around it if you're attentive to what the body is trying to uh, let you know. So if I have a shoulder injury, the answer is not to not move it ever, possibly, unless instructed by a doctor, but it may be to uh, move it just enough within what's possible according to listening to what my body can tolerate and is asking me to do. That's why I say that the body has a certain amount of uh, wisdom about it because it's not necessarily the case that your brain or your exercises, you know, if I do if I do exercise in a certain shape, well, I've just been told to do it. That's my brain making that particular shape. But the body can go into an infinite number of positions and shapes and forms and a lot of people restrict their idea of what their body can do and restrict their idea of what wisdom might lie in their body's uh, messaging. But I, but I would say that possibly for many people, the status quo is that, again, the mind is separate from the body, that when the body goes wrong, then it must be fixed almost by a third party. You go to a physiotherapist and that the mind is somehow separate. And yet... The mind and the body are one thing. So even the attitude that you bring to healing will change how fast you heal. As I had alluded to, 
So many of us treat our bodies like it's a thing as opposed to a living being. So like a mm -hmm. plastic plant, not like a real living house plant. And th there's, there are tremendous differences between how we treat a thing versus how we treat life. And life has a long list of needs that must be met. Now, we don't have to kind of micromanage ourselves and our healing when we are already creating the right conditions for healing. So healing is going to take whatever timeline it's going to take. And you can't speed up that timeline like five times or ten times, but you can create the right conditions for mm -hmm. the wound to heal. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that you go through some kind of emotional wound, some kind of loss or heartbreak. There's going to be a grieving period. It's going to last on a certain timeline, but there are also some, some thoughts you could think to reassure yourself and soothe yourself as, as you go through that timeline. Just as we'd create the right conditions for the living plant to thrive in, and, and then we, you know, can give ourselves credit for doing our part without trying to rush the growth of that plant. Just like we can create the right conditions for, 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 for the child or for the cat or for the dog to be happy and healthy mm -hmm. in. And then if they have anxiety anyway, we can't blame ourselves too, too much. We also kind of have to treat ourselves in the same way where we, we have to recognize we have the same long list of needs that life has and additionally the same long list of needs that human beings have and additionally being adults we are the highest authority in ourselves such that we have to fulfill this list of needs. When we recognize all of this, fulfilling our duty of self-care obligates us to make sure that every need, including physical needs like exercise, physical needs for sleep is fulfilled. And also then for us to feel negligent if we are not sleeping well enough, if we're not eating well enough, if we're eating too much as though like we've overwatered the plant. That also I would suggest is appropriate given that you, your life is under your stewardship. Yeah, and I, th I think that the idea that perhaps the fundamentals you know, of you know, water, light, and soil. You could say there is a sort of a fundamental level of self-care, which, which is absolutely right as a living being to give yourself. But that doesn't mean that there's not differences between plants. Or there's differences between the peculiarities of what might be necessary. One plant uh, might need more light, one might need less. Or you say you might overwater, for example. And the actual perfect combination of how you look after that plant may be slightly different between one plant and another, just like every human has different needs. You might need more vitamin C, you may have an intolerance for something. This is, these are the details, but the fundamental remains. And I, I think that so many people focus on their individuality and so little on the commonalities yeah. they have with their fellow human beings mm. that they make excuses for not exercising. Mm. They, they make excuses for not sleeping well enough or not caring for themselves well enough. It's because they think, oh, well, I'm different. And one thing you keep hearing me argue is the, the, the universalism of us human beings such that there are so many commonalities when you're looking at them. We all do need to sleep. We all do need to exercise or else we suffer because of it. Just as every dog, regardless of the breed, needs to sleep well and exercise well enough, even if some dogs need to exercise more, they still all need to be walked. Yeah. So one principle that I think applies universally, whether you're taking care of a child or take, taking care of yourself, is that quality as opposed to quantity of the thing that fulfills the need should be the rule. Quality of sleep 
matters more than quantity of sleep. Quality of life on the you know, 70, 80, 90 year timeline of a human being, I would suggest quality of life matters more than just quantity of life. And, you know, living past 100, but being miserable during it might not be a worthy trade off. <laughs> but when you also talk about quality rather than quantity, you could you can even take it down to the exercise, you could, for instance, say, well, okay, I have to exercise, so I'm just going to run a marathon. Well, maybe you can't do that. And maybe if you do set yourself that task, the quality of your training or your approach to it is not going to be great. Whereas maybe doing 15 minutes a day before, you, you know, that you get a better quality of workout and that's better than failing at a bigger idea of, you know, the, 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 qu the quantity of exercise you need. Often we feel that exercise is a nice to have when you can get around to it, or that choosing quality foods is when you're able to afford the time or, or the expense. And, you know, getting enough sleep, sleep, getting high quality of sleep, or just getting rest in general, that, that, that these are nice to haves. I would make the argument that these count among the needs. And you might or might not find them on Maslow's hierarchy, but still, without good enough sleep, without enough activity, without quality food, without self-love and self-respect, which we've talked about in prior episodes, we suffer. We have deprived lives. And that, to me, is what makes it a need. When we do fulfill th th these essentials, our lives are always happier and healthier. One distinction between being among life on planet Earth versus being like a plastic plant or being like a stuffed animal is that when you're alive, you don't quite break, at least not until the very end of your life. Throughout a lifetime, we might become injured. We'll usually be injured regularly if we're adventurous enough. And we'll be ill, at least if we're social enough and adventurous enough. But then we heal from the illness or the injury. And this healing is predictable. So a lot of my clients who have health anxiety, for example, they're kind of anxious about the possibility of getting sick. They're anxious about the possibility of perhaps being injured in a way that's irrecoverable. But at the same time, they've healed from cuts and flus and colds and burns and heartbreak and, and, and loss, even in a large way, sometimes from trauma. And this is characteristic of being among living beings. And that the human being who's been through so much over their lives, as long as they're alive, they're going to have a tomorrow. And in this tomorrow, they'll be a little bit more healed up from past injuries. And this is, again, predictable on the timeline of a human life. When people treat themselves like it's possible to be broken or even irreparable, they're incorrectly classifying them themselves among like the plastic plants or the stuffed animals as opposed to trees and mm -hmm. tigers and wolves. Um, a couple of thoughts. One is that you could argue that even maladaptive behaviors are an effort for the organism to heal in some ways, trying to fulfill a need at least, and it's actually providing something which may not be the right uh, medicine. It may not be even the right information, or it may be something that was suitable in a previous situation but is no longer accurate to the present day. And so in many ways, how we look at the process of healing needs to be constantly updated, that the tips, tricks, the things that worked in the past maybe for a short period of time, or maybe they never worked, 
need to be updated. And this, and if if you are constantly in a position of self-caring and self-loving, then then this will be naturally updated. But if you if you think that your uh, behaviour just shows that you're broken, then that's it. Then you're you're not giving yourself credit for being so. You, um, you mentioned a tree, for example. Trees are extraordinary in that if they have a, a, a virus or a bacteria or a parasite that gets in underneath the bark, the tree can actually surround that particular infected piece with hardened wood. And so that's what, what, that's what happens when you, when you cut a tree and you can see this sort of section which is not the same as the other, is that it protects itself to such a degree that it just sort of separates it entirely mm-hmm. and keeps on growing. Throughout nature, there are examples of incredible adaptations and healing which is which is why i always say that life always persists you drive down a, a a highway and you'll see in the cracks you'll see plants that are striving to live and striving to flower and this is, seems to be an incredible power among human beings we can think of people who've lost their sense of sight mm-hmm. and they're still able to navigate down the street with a cane and some people who've lost their sight even develop a, a capacity to echolocate yeah. And we can think of people who have lost use of their legs, and yet they're able to function in the world. They're able to you know, have friends and laugh and contribute. I've said that healing is predictable. I would say that one way or another, if, if you allow this of yourself, adaptation mm. is inevitable. It's true. There are some injuries that we don't heal from. So let's say I'm you know, confined to a wheelchair because so, of a spinal injury. Trees don't decide where they grow. No. no right? but, so they may have well, fundamental challenges, the fact that their roots can't go deep enough or they're more exposed to one thing or another, but life persists and they adapt. Adaptation's inevitable. Mm. So going back into the, sort of the mind-body connection, it has been shown that stress does not work well with healing. Right? Stress doesn't really work well with almost anything, uh, to do, particularly to do with health. And so when you're sick or injured, one, one way of, of reacting is, oh, I hate my body for being frail. I hate my body for succumbing to this sickness. I'm so frustrated. I'm so annoyed that I'm sick because I can't do X, Y, and Z. And, and then you should <laughs> who, who on earth would talk to you like that? I mean, if your friend turned around and said, oh, you're sick. Oh, for, that's so annoying. Now you can't do the thing we said that we planned. How do you know? You, you wouldn't treat a friend like that. So instead, what works better and has shown to allow yourself to heal quicker and faster and actually just generally be happier while you're, you know, while you're injured or sick is to actually be more forgiving, compassionate to yourself, even sending loving thoughts to yourself, imagining that, the, that, that there's so many cells in your body and every part of your body is doing its best to heal, doing its best to recover from this virus, that even that sense of forgiving aliveness or having a feeling of, of love sent to those areas that need, that need it actually helps expedite and speed healing because and, and it, it completely takes away the idea that stress should be part of that often when i think we're angry at ourselves or we're stressed with ourselves we treat ourselves like a cell phone that's not functioning <laughs> or maybe a robot we've purchased to perform a function and which is no longer performing that function we objectify ourselves mm. i don't mean sexually objectify <laughs> I, I mean we objectify ourselves in the sense that we neglect our aliveness and we incorrectly categorize ourselves among like objects. tools or yeah. objects this is so so common in 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 the mindsets and the worldviews that I find among my clients that I'm comfortable saying to all of our listeners that in some ways you probably are treating yourself as less than a dog 
less than your favorite cat or tree. And that if you even just begin by treating yourself as well as and loving yourself as much as a dog, a cat, or a, a tree, that's a really good starting point for how you might talk to yourself in your own head so that you are giving yourself compassion when ill and not giving yourself too much grief when ill. So what you need to do in order to care for yourself properly will change over time just like as your your dog ages you might need to add some kind of food to help with bone density or teeth or something right so so it naturally changes and I, i've heard this before that when people look in the mirror and they've reached a certain age they're shocked at the old face that is staring back at them right and the human fact of it is that we're gonna die we're gonna become uh, less fit over time. Now, the degree I th still think is, uh, you know, quite how unfit you're going to be. Is you still have a certain amount of control over that. But one way or another, uh, life is going to kill you. <laughs> and in the, in the best case scenario, we don't die young and leave a beautiful corpse. In the best case scenario, we die when we're very old and our corpse has wrinkles on it. And we die very old having lived a good life and been as fit as possible, enjoyed what we had rather than hankered after what was impossible or regretted or uh, resented what we don't have. I mean, that's, you know, that going back again to the, the, you know, I can't stand that I'm sick. It's quite easy to look in the mirror and say, you know, I, I can't stand I'm getting wrinkles or that I'm getting gray hair and you can resent it. But then there's two things. One is the stoic idea of memento mori, which is saying, well, you're going to die, so en enjoy the now as much as possible. But there's also this question of acquiescence as well, is that this is the way things are. This is what happens. And if you can acquiesce to it, if you can accept that this is the natural process of things and that this is the natural progression of a body through time, then you can, instead of railing against it, you can accept it and within those terms, do what you can to self-love, self-care, and, and not, not rage at, at time. Well, there is such a thing as aging gracefully, mm. because a middle-aged man acting like he's 25 is, you know, n not that admirable or respectable. I, I think a little bit of youthfulness as you as you get older. Well, when right. I say like 25, I mean like wearing the backwards ball cap and right. like dating 21-year-olds and that, that, that kind of thing. Um, there is such a thing, I, I would argue, as aging gracefully such that you can be the very best 40-year-old you can be and the mm. best 50-year-old you can be, and you don't have to be a 50-year-old acting like you're 25. I mean, obviously, there are qualities that are timeless that youth have and that are worth keeping for the rest of our lives. And it's quite possible that you might be swayed to believe that somehow your age is making you less relevant or that your age is less attractive because, of course, what sells and what we're shown through most media is an ideal that is perpetually young, is perpetually fit. You know, th these are the things that sell. These are the images that we culturally, we feed ourselves. Is that, And that the hero, this is the other thing, that the hero is uh, a naturally fit, you know, Y-shaped, strong person, you know. And that is the physical manifestation of a psychological truth about a hero. But that doesn't mean that a 40-year-old can't be a hero, just not in necessarily a you know, Disney hero body. It, it doesn't mean that an 80-year-old can't be a hero in the same way, but just not in a 20-year-old body. I've seen some, some, some men and women who are in their 40s and 50s, and they look fantastic. Fantastic. I don't want to say for their age, because they just straight up look yeah. fantastic. It takes a lot of 
hard work yeah. to kind of you know be in that kind of shape. But still, I, I wouldn't place it outside the realm of possibility no. to to kind of imagine that um, you know if you care enough to put that much effort into it to to, to to look fantastic in your 40s 50s and, and even beyond and that that I think is part of aging gracefully it's not to give up on yourself yeah. and you don't need a six pack to you know really like what you have to see in the mirror <laughs> and have a partner who really likes yeah, what yeah. They, they see as well when people get married right they know that in the best case scenario, they're watching their partner grow old and get flabby and develop wrinkles and gain gray hair in the best case scenario, but they do it anyway. It's not like people just, you know, have the stars in their eyes and illusions that their partner is going to be youthful in their 40s and 50s and 60s. They know it, but they value something other than you know, that superficial youth and appearance. Yeah, I'd go even further and say that actually facing aging well with these values of self-care and self-love enable you also to create and work on those aspects which are uh, not based on, you know, youthful physical attractiveness. That in some ways, youthful attractiveness, you can get away with, you know, uh, certain things. Whereas when you're older, you're, you're not going to do that. And in some ways, it gives you the momentum, if you like, to work on aspects of your character that you haven't really needed to up until that point. Whenever I onboard a client who wants help to, to quit smoking, mm. to lose weight, to quit drinking alcohol, to exercise more, one of the points that I, I feel like I have to make universally is that you need no motivation to do this thing other than that you are human life that's under your care. Mm. So it's not to look good for your partner. Mm. It's not to appear not bloated in front of a camera. The reason to care for yourself is the same reason you'd care for a dog or a cat or a child or a friend or an aging partner or parent. It's that you are life that's under your care. The the Mm. only way to treat yourself is by fulfilling that duty of self-care and then treating yourself according to the rules for, for how we have to treat life, which means we recognize that it's got needs and we, we fulfill the needs of life. And your list of needs is just as long as the list of needs for a child or, or an aging family member because you're fully human too. So it's, it's one thing to know that your mindset can affect your healing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should askew outsourcing care to other people, right? Well, you, you should definitely involve professionals in, in your care. And having involved professionals in your health care, you actually don't have to do their jobs for them. It is true that medical errors happen. It, it is true that even the professionals can make mistakes. I'm not saying to blindly trust them if in your gut you feel that they've misunderstood your situation. What I'm saying is that if a doctor's looked at the issue and they say that you're going to be fine and it's only your anxious thoughts that think otherwise, then maybe the anxious thoughts would do well to kind of remember what the doctor has said. And then you're kind of outsourcing diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You're outsourcing treatment to the professionals who are licensed to diagnose and treat and you're not kind of trying to do that yourself in your own head. What you can do instead, then, is what you can't outsource, in other words, to pursue happiness, to pursue health 
So the healthcare professionals, they're, they're paid and quite well to think about illness all day long. I mean, without that level of compensation, why would someone think about disease and mm-hmm. illness all day long? Well, you can, also, you can also point out that doctors are trained to intervene when things are wrong. So there, there's not a lot in a, in a doctor's training to do with prevention. In, to, some, no. to some degree, you could say, well, the prevention bit is actually on us. Um, and, and when you see a doctor, it's because they're actually trained to look for what's wrong. They're actually they're there is that at that point. Exactly. So if you have information that there is nothing, you know, evidently wrong, and that indeed your body's going to heal from whatever temporary pain or, or ache you're experiencing, then redirecting your focus on how to live a happy life, how to live a healthy life, how to pursue your vision of what a quality life looks like. This is something that's completely your responsibility and that cannot be outsourced. So while you can outsource diagnosis and treatment and, you know, healthcare professionals get paid well to think about illness, it is for you to think about what you're going to do with your health, what you're going to do with your life, what you're going to do with your capacity to be out enjoying the sunshine or, or to read a good book or to, to listen to, to a good song. That's definitely completely within your power to manifest. And I would say it's part of your obligation to yourself, your duty of self-care to live a happy, healthy life. Even doctors will tell you just before you, you leave this, well, you know, get more sleep, drink more water, eat healthily and do some exercise. Yep. And, and there's no pill for that, you know, <laughs> like, that's on you. That's, you know, and most doctors will also lament that that's the best bit of advice that is most often ignored. <laughs> it's creating the conditions for life to thrive. Mm. If you've got a plant and it's not been watered well enough or it's been overwatered, it'll be out of order to medicate the plant. Somehow we as human beings, because medicines might be available, you know, we we neglect the basic needs and then we try to take medication even though our bodies are not lacking in that medication, it's lacking in something else. When it comes to planning for for our futures, right, a lot of us kind of, you know, want to live in the moment. A lot of us kind of think we're not going to live past 30. And then we live past 30 and then we're like, "Uh uh-oh, we've had too much alcohol. We've not taken care of our our financial futures. We've, you know, forgotten to live like an adult. So I, I would suggest to everyone that it's best practice to expect that probably you'll live into your early 80s when you know you're going to probably on the balance of probabilities be around when you're that old you're going to be treating yourself differently if you live as though you're not going to see tomorrow then sure drink all you'd like use all the drugs but if you think about why do you clean your teeth I mean, cleaning your teeth is an ongoing thing to make them last as long as possible, basically. Uh, On the other hand, you can also say, well, life is kind of a balance between the two because you also have to live in the moment and not anticipate an unknown future. But it's also uh, worthwhile to behave as if that was going to be your future. I I would argue that the the two can reconcile, the the, the two uh, viewpoints can reconcile because... When you are old, at some point you're going to realize that your time's going to be up soon and you're not going to be able to have adventures any longer. In that situation, it's easier to face the inevitable, knowing that when you were younger, you took chances. When you were younger, you went on your adventures. When you're younger, you did stuff so that, you know, when, when you're bedridden at the age of 90, you're like thinking, I have had a good life. See, it's not a tragedy. If an old man or an old woman dies, 
having lived a rich life and they have few regrets on their deathbed. That the tragedy is to reach the age of 80 anyway, and then you've got no more time mm-hmm. to live in the moment, to take chances, to get stuff done. Which is the flip side of the coin, because you say, well, you know, tragedy is to die at 30, having planned to live to 80 and not done all those things that you could have done because it may have jeopardized an unknown future. So there's always that... Well, I think we're talking about different examples because <laughs> you might be talking about like riding a motorcycle without a helmet. Uh, I, 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 I'm talking well, about writing that book, so, going so, on that trip. So daily exercise, yep. right? So the, but the way I see it is that, for instance, daily exercise mm-hmm. delivers a present and immediate benefit and an intermediate benefit as well. It will uh, it'll make you feel good. It'll give you more energy. Uh, it will uh, improve your mental health. And on top of that, it will also improve the likely ongoing health into old age. So it's a win-win, right? There's plenty of things in life where actually preparing to reach 80 years plus requires activities that are also beneficial right now. There's actually, in many cases, there isn't a contradiction. When there is a contradiction, you know, it is like riding a motorcycle without a helmet. Mm -hmm. That's where the contradiction arises. So from this discussion on how to look after yourself physically, I think that we can safely say that there's an awful lot in your control and that what you have in your control may vary between one person and another, but that if you treat yourself with the bare requirements that you would treat any other life, a a plant or a pet or even a friend, and if you use that as the basis for your, uh, your physical uh, health, then you are both preparing yourself for a long life, which is highly likely, um, but at the same time making the most of the now and the now and the now. I sound like a broken record every time I talk about self-love and, and that being tied in with self-care. Say it again. Well, I, I'll, make the po- I'll make the point like this. If you know how to care for the child, but you don't love them at all, it doesn't matter how much you know because your knowledge is not going to translate into action. You have to both know what to do and love that form of life to then have your knowledge translate into action. And I think this is why so many people, they they know what they should and shouldn't eat. They know they should work out three times or five times a week. They know exactly how to care for themselves, but the missing piece of the puzzle is self-loving. When that missing piece of the puzzle is filled in, then you can't watch yourself suffer under neglect. And there's, there's a desire, you might even say the motivation, to care for yourself. And it's going to be an intrinsic motivation. So if there's one thing I want to leave our listeners with, it's that you are definitely life. And if you're an adult, then you're a human life that's under your care. It's never a mistake to treat yourself accordingly. The, the mistakes come in if you treat yourself as other than human life that's under your care, even if that's so normalized. In, in our world. So we hope to set a new normal for you and have you take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's episode. If you want to hear more of what we have to say one-on-one, Pascal and I are both available for hire through the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis, where we take this kind of practical philosophy you've heard today and make it into your thoughts too. To connect with us, please contact the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis at morpheusclinic.com and ask for a free consultation. 
And if you like these ideas and you like these thoughts and where we're going with this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And of course, we're on YouTube as well, at Morpheus Hypnosis. We look forward to uh, sharing with you some of our thoughts on how to uh, approach and deal with your career and your finances. Mm -hmm.